Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. I opened my eyes and looked at the foot of the bed, and the blankets were up in the air. It was as if someone was holding them up over my feet. I'm Tom Stewart, and this is my paranormal story. Before I start this episode, I want to give out a few thank yous, like usual. This is kind of a long episode, so I'll be quick. Thank you to Alexander Rose, Lauren Garrick, and Paul Gomes for your kind donations. If you'd like to support my podcast too, just click the donate button on my website at myparanormalstory.com. Or if you want, you can buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash myparanormal. Unfortunately, podcasts do cost money and your support really helps also i received a bunch of great emails over the past couple of weeks i love reading your stories and answering your questions so please keep them coming you can email me at my paranormal story podcast at gmail.com okay that's it told you i'd be quick now here's this week's episode Lizzie Borden took an axe and gave her mother 40 whacks. When she saw what she had done, she gave her father 41. Andrew Borden now is dead. Lizzie hit him on the head. Up in heaven he will sing, on the gallows she will swing. If you were raised in the New England area like me, you're probably familiar with this rhyme. The Borden murders are one of history's most famous unsolved mysteries. But the rhyme does get a few of the facts wrong. It's the morning of August 4th, 1892, in Fall River, Massachusetts, and Lizzie Borden can be heard shouting to her maid, who is napping in her third-floor bedroom. Quickly, come down. Someone has killed my father. Andrew Borden was a wealthy man for his time described by many to be a bit of a curmudgeon and a miser. The Borden father had just returned home from his morning walk and decided to take a nap on the couch in the front room. At some point while he was sleeping, someone attacked him with a hatchet, not an axe, and struck him 11 times in the head, not 41, as the rhyme says. This is where Lizzie claims to have found her father lying in a pool of blood, slumped down on the couch with his feet still touching the floor. 
The Borden's family doctor who lived across the street was notified and he quickly responded, but there was little he could do. Within 30 minutes, police detectives were also on the scene. But little did they know, they would be investigating more than one murder on this day. After questioning Lizzie about her father, one of the detectives asked where her mother Abby was. Abby Borden was actually the stepmother to Lizzie and her older sister Emma. Their biological mother passed away when Lizzie was only three years old. But by the time she turned six, her father had remarried to Abby. Maggie the maid headed up the stairs to look for Abby. But about halfway up, with her eyes level to the floor, she let out a scream as she could see Abby lying face down on the floor in the guest bedroom. She too had been murdered with a hatchet, struck 19 times in the head and back, not 40. The police admittedly did not do a thorough job investigating the crime scenes, but they were suspicious of Lizzie right away, as her story seemed to change often. She was also spotted later that night in the basement washing something in the sink. And the next day, someone found her burning a dress in the kitchen fireplace. Further investigation by detectives led to a hatchet with the handle broken off, being discovered in the basement. It was later determined to be the murder weapon. And seven days later, 32-year-old Lizzie Borden was arrested for the double murder of her parents. Her trial wouldn't begin until June of the next year, when a judge and jury would have to consider quite a bit of circumstantial evidence in the case. There was one witness who testified Lizzie tried to buy poison at the pharmacy days before the murder. But another witness claims to have seen Lizzie outside in the Borden's barn at the time of the murder. Being a time when there was no such thing as DNA evidence or fingerprints, and no blood found on Lizzie's clothes or the hatchet, plus no reliable witnesses, it only took the jury 90 minutes to acquit Lizzie of the crime. She never did swing on the gallows. Lizzie and Emma would go on to inherit their father's wealth which was equal to about $9 million in today's money. They purchased a large home in the nice part of Fall River and dubbed it Maplecroft. And Lizzie legally changed her name from Elizabeth Borden to Lisbeth Borden. With her half of the family's inheritance, Lizzie could have lived anywhere. When asked why she stayed in the same town where everyone looked at her suspiciously, she said she wanted to be there to face them all on the day she is proven innocent. Unfortunately for Lizzie, that day never came. In 1905, after a disagreement, Emma moved out of Maplecroft and into her own home in New Hampshire. The two sisters never spoke again. Lizzie died of pneumonia on June 1st, 1927. Sadly, very few people attended her funeral. She left most of her estate to a few family members and friends as she had no children or spouse. 
and she also left a large donation to the Fall River Animal Rescue League. Strangely, Lizzie's sister Emma died nine days later of natural causes. They're both buried in the family plot in a Fall River cemetery right next to their father and stepmother. The story of Lizzie Borden has intrigued legal scholars and true crime buffs for over a century. But the history of the Borden home has been intriguing paranormal enthusiasts and ghost hunters for just as long. Today, the house where the Bordens were murdered still stands. It was turned into a museum and bed and breakfast. Much of the 1890s decor still remains, and tour guides will happily take you room to room telling you the tale of the Borden murders. And they'll also, some reluctantly, tell you about the many paranormal experiences people have had in the home. The Lizzie Borden House, as it's called today, is known by some to be one of the most haunted places in the United States. And the part paranormal enthusiasts like best is that not only can you visit the house, you can actually stay overnight. I live less than 20 minutes from the Lizzie Borden house. And despite being just a short drive away, for some reason, I've never officially investigated it. But that's not to say I've never been there or that I've never had paranormal experiences there. The first time I visited the Lizzie Borden house was in the early 2000s. I was working for a local radio station and we were doing a live broadcast for Halloween. It was my job to set up all of the equipment. So I was sitting on the floor in the front room, not far from the couch where Mr. Borden was murdered. I was setting up a broadcasting device called an ISDN box. Basically, it's an electronic converter box about the size of a PlayStation that's connected to a digital phone line. I would plug a microphone and headphones into it and on the other end, at the radio station, a producer would turn it up on the mixer board and allow us to broadcast live on the radio without any interference or tinny telephone sound. It also allowed us to communicate back and forth with the producer. It was about an hour or so before we were scheduled to broadcast, so there was no producer on the other end yet. I plugged in the box and turned it on, and like usual, the lights on the front lit up and the microphone levels looked good. But all of a sudden, as I was checking the sound, I heard a voice come through on the headphones. It sounded like someone said the word bright. At first I thought maybe it was the producer back at the studio. So I picked up the microphone and said, hello? But there was no answer. So I waited and listened. And then the same voice came through again. This time, it clearly said, off. Who is this, I said. But again, there was no response. About an hour later, as we were getting ready for the live broadcast, the producer checked in with us. When I asked him if he had been talking earlier, 
He said no. He hadn't even been in the room until now. The second time I visited the Lizzie Borden house, things got a little more personal. It was about a year later, and my girlfriend at the time suggested that we spend the night there. We were both big fans of horror and paranormal, so we booked an overnight stay in the guest room, the room where Lizzie's stepmother Abby was killed. We arrived around 6 p.m. or so and brought our bags upstairs to the room, and then we joined the tour guide for a tour of the house. I couldn't wait to hear all about the history and the mystery of this home. It's actually a pretty big house, although it feels small because most of the rooms are tiny. We began the tour in the front room where Lizzie's father, Andrew, was killed. All the furniture is still in the same spots, but they're all replicas now. But right next to the couch where Andrew was killed, the actual crime scene photograph of his body slumped over on the couch is sitting on a table. And they actually encourage you to sit on the couch and reenact the scene and his position. It's such a small couch though, compared to couches of today. I'm not sure how anyone of average height could even nap on it. And the photo was a bit suspicious too, as you'll quickly notice that Mr. Borden was still completely dressed. I mean, he even had his boots on. Who takes a nap with their boots on? From there, we were brought into the kitchen. It's a small kitchen, but it's the room where Lizzie allegedly was seen burning a dress in the fireplace. Today, the kitchen is a bit more modern with a large stove, running water, and a refrigerator. After all, they need to cook our breakfast in there. And from this room, we headed into the dining room, which is a much bigger room than the other rooms, but still felt kind of small. It had a table big enough for six to comfortably eat, which was where we'd be having our breakfast in the morning. And this room had lots of pictures on the walls and on the side tables. The tour guide told us that this was actually where the autopsies of the Bordens took place, which I guess in those days, it was common for them to do the autopsy right at the scene of the crime. And for some reason, both of their heads were removed from their bodies during the autopsy. They were eventually used as evidence in the court trial. And today, there are replicas of the skulls in a glass case in the dining room. Why would you keep them in the room where people eat. From there, the tour continued. We headed back into the kitchen and up a staircase to the second floor where the master bedroom was. This is where Mr. and Mrs. Borden would sleep. It's a large bedroom with a huge bed, a bureau, lots of old photos on the walls and tables. And the staircase continues up to the attic or the third floor. Originally, this was just used for storage with a small bedroom for the maid. But since then, it's been transformed into extra bedrooms for the bed and breakfast. The rooms are a bit small with slanted ceilings and floors, and there are quite a few stories of people 
hearing voices, seeing shadows, and even being touched on both floors. We headed back downstairs and into the front of the house again, where we went up another staircase to the other side of the second floor. At the top of the stairs is the guest room, our room, and down the hall is where Lizzie and Emma's adjoining bedrooms were located, both with small beds, tables, bureaus, and more pictures on them. Now, all of these rooms, by the way, are available to stay overnight in. But as I mentioned, we were staying in the guest room, the room Abby was murdered in. They say she was making the bed at the time of her murder, although I'm not sure why she was making the bed and not the maid. But anyway, the room was rather small, like the other rooms in the house. The bed took up most of the space, but that's not to say it was a big bed. And right next to it was a bureau with a mirror on it and a framed black and white photo of the crime scene from Abby's murder. You're literally standing in the spot where they found her body as you look at this picture. When it was finally time to go to bed, we retired to our room and tried to get comfortable, as comfortable as you can just inches away from the scene of a horrific axe murder. There were no TVs or anything in the house, so as you lay there in the dark, in bed, you really notice all of the sounds coming from the house. You can hear other people talking from other rooms, people moving around on their bed or shuffling off to the bathroom. There wasn't many people in the house, though. Just my girlfriend and I and another couple who were staying in the master bedroom and the caretaker who was sleeping in one of the bedrooms on the third floor. We fell asleep quickly, but I had a hard time staying asleep. I'm usually pretty restless when I sleep in strange places, so I kept finding myself waking up to every sound I heard, and there were plenty of them. Occasionally I would hear footsteps. A couple of times I heard what sounded like someone switching a lamp on and off. I also kept hearing voices, like whispering voices. But it sounded more like a, a group of people whispering. Now, I suppose all of those noises could have been the other people in the house with us, but I don't know. But then something really strange happened. I was finally falling asleep and I felt my girlfriend pulling the covers up off of me. So I nudged her, hey, stop hogging the covers. And she looked at me half asleep, like, what are you talking about? And I opened my eyes and looked at the foot of the bed and the blankets were up in the air above our feet. What the hell, I whispered. And my girlfriend looked and sat up quickly. It was as if someone was standing at the end of the bed, holding the covers up over our feet. I tugged on the blankets as if to say, give me that back. And the covers slowly floated back down over us, like someone had just let them go. 
Someday, I hope to get the chance to properly investigate the Lizzie Borden house. But fortunately, I know many investigators who have, and most of them have captured some great evidence and had some really interesting experiences. But one of the best pieces of evidence I've ever heard is an EVP my friend Cody Ray Desbian captured. Cody Ray is an investigator with Rise Up Paranormal and with TAPS, the Atlantic Paranormal Society. You may have actually seen him on the TV show Ghost Nation. And he's also one half of the paranormal couple. If you're a fan of the paranormal, you'll most likely be seeing Cody and Satori and their traveling paranormal museum at conventions and expos. And you can also find them on TikTok and Facebook. Anyway, here he is to tell you about the time he investigated the Lizzie Borden house. Now, just to set the scene, I was there with Rise Up Paranormal on the evening of March the 1st, 2018, and we were just conducting a normal private investigation of the home. But a lot of strange noises started to occur. We started hearing footsteps happening throughout the home and loud banging noises that we just couldn't explain. But the experience that stands out the most to me is what happened in Andrew Borden's bedroom. I was there with the founder of Rise Up Paranormal, Ken DaCosta, and we were doing an EVP session. I was recording audio with my digital recorder, and you're going to hear Ken in the clip say, I would like to hear what the real Andrew Borden's voice sounds like. And soon after he finishes saying that sentence, you hear a loud, raspy voice. I would like to hear what the famous Andrew Borden's voice sounds like. Now, we're not 100% sure what's being said, but could this be evidence of what the real Andrew Borden's voice sounds like? I'll let you decide that one. Now, I know that audio clip was probably hard to hear, so I'm going to play it again for you. I took the clip and put it through some audio software and did some noise reduction on it so that maybe you can hear it more clearly. Here it is. Now one more time, I'm gonna play it for you, but I'm gonna turn it up and just isolate that part of the voice. Give it a listen. Now, as a side note, I wanted to mention the woman who gave me the tour of the Lizzie Borden house both times that I visited. Her name was Leanne Wilbur. The first time I met her was when we interviewed her on the radio. And the second time was during the tour she gave my girlfriend and I. But it was so much more than just a tour. She gave such detailed information about the history and the lore of the house. And she even shared some of the paranormal experiences people have had there, including her own. She was the owner and manager of the bed and breakfast for almost 20 years. And if you ever met her, you could tell that she had a true passion for this house, for the family, for Lizzie, and for all the stories. And she was also very open-minded and welcoming 
to the true crime community, and to paranormal researchers. Sadly, though, Leanne passed away recently, just days after selling the home to someone new. She was only 50 years old. Hopefully, the new owners will be as accommodating and respectful as she was. Because I wouldn't be surprised if there's another spirit walking the rooms of the Lizzie Borden house now. My Paranormal Story is written, produced, and narrated by me, Tom Stewart. Music from this episode, courtesy of Kevin McLeod at Incomptech.com. Special thanks to Cody Ray Desbian. Check him out at ParanormalCouple.com and on TikTok and Facebook. If you enjoy my stories and would like to support the podcast, you can go to BuyMeACoffee.com slash MyParanormal or just click on the Donate button on my website at myparanormalstory.com. I also have t-shirts and coffee mugs for sale. Because unfortunately, podcasts cost money. And your support helps me keep this podcast running. And every little bit helps. I also recently wrote my first book called The 10 Best Tools for Ghost Hunting. If you've ever wanted to learn more about the gadgets used in paranormal investigation, you can check it out on Audible, Kindle, or Amazon.com. And please don't forget to subscribe so you'll know when I've added new episodes. And feel free to follow me on Facebook and Instagram. Just search for My Paranormal Story. If you have a podcast and would like to have me as a guest, or if you'd like to ask me a question or tell me your paranormal story, you can email me at myparanormalstorypodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. I'm Tom Stewart, and this is my paranormal story.